Remember the 90s when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. album Act Surprised. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I'm your incandescent host, Ian. This episode's got music from the likes of Fish, L7, Brad, 
Stripping Daisy, The Bloodhound Gang, Ugly Kid Joe, Living Color, The Living End, Pavement, and The Reverend Horton Heat. Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song apiece from the following. The new Limp Biscuit album, Still Sucks, released on October 31st. The new deluxe Radiohead reissue, Kid A Amnesia, released on November 5th. The new Exodus album, Persona Non Grata, released on November 19th. And the new Tom Morello albums, The Atlas Underground Fire and The Atlas Underground Flood, released on October 15th and December 3rd, respectively. I'll get Limp Bizkit out of the way first, since I suspect some of you might be feeling apprehensive about that one. Limp Bizkit went viral this year in a way I thought they were no longer capable of. Like many artists popular around the turn of the century, time had not been kind to the Bizkit, and even during their heyday, they were celebrated and hated in roughly equal measure. The band, along with the distinctive mug of frontman Fred Durst, had largely vanished from people's collective consciousness by the mid-aughts, and their musical output became notably more sporadic after 2003. I had long written off Limp Bizkit as a flash-in-the-pan group by 2021, and then something miraculous happened. They became relevant again. I feel like everything Durst and company did to promote their latest album was carefully calculated, without a single misstep made along the way. Of course, it probably helped that they didn't really have anything left to lose, but all the same, I'm kind of impressed. It all started in early August, when Durst showed up for Limp Bizkit's Lollapalooza set, rocking a conspicuous new look that consisted of a gray wig in place of his signature red Yankees cap, matching handlebar mustache, red aviator shades, button-up shirt, and a windbreaker that was only zipped up at the top for some reason. After giving out major dad vibes with his new look, Durst concluded the set by premiering the band's new single, uh, Dad Vibes blasting a studio recording of the song over the PA system while the band members handed out t-shirts instead of, you know, playing the song live. While some of the decisions on display that weekend were befuddling, they certainly had people buzzing about Limp Bizkit again. It didn't hurt that the new single was actually pretty catchy, with a surprisingly palatable rap performance from the infamous Fred Durst. Dad Vibes got an official single release at the end of September, and after Durst spent the month of October teasing his Instagram followers with the possibility of surprise releasing the new album, he went ahead and did just that on Halloween, dropping Still Sucks, the first Limp Bizkit album in a decade, to what I believe is the closest the band has ever come to critical acclaim. After hearing the album for myself, I think I can understand why. For starters, the band have seemingly grown up a bit, working in some self-deprecating lyrics that slyly acknowledge their advanced age and less-than-reputable status in the music world. While Durst has maintained that Limp Bizkit was never meant to be taken seriously and that his lyrics have always been tongue-in-cheek, it's at least somewhat more apparent on Still Sucks. Furthermore, the album is shockingly eclectic, seemingly trying to cram as many unique song ideas as possible into its lean 32-minute runtime. Durst has also once said that he envisioned Limp Bizkit as a, quote, mega band, capable of crossing over into any style of music they wanted, and Still Sucks is probably the closest they have come to realizing that vision. A handful of songs on the album are of the quintessential sort, with some sounding exactly like the Limp Bizkit of yesteryear, such as Dirty Rotten Bizkit and Snacky Poo, and others applying a fresh coat of paint to the old standard, such as opening track Out of Style, the aforementioned Dad Vibes, and Turn It Up Bitch, which, between its funky bass line and Durst's peculiar vocal delivery, actually kind of sounds like a Cypress Hill song. Ultimately, though, I would say only about half the songs on Still Sucks could be designated as rap. 
There's a surprising amount of actual singing from Fred Durst on the album, and although that's something he's pretty much always dabbled in, the ratio of singing to rapping is notably higher this time around. While Durst doesn't have the greatest singing voice in the world, he's better at it than you might imagine, in part because he sounds like a completely different person when he sings. What's more, just about all the songs on the album where he favors singing over rapping are wildly different from one another. Empty Hole is a somber, interlude-sounding track with ominous singing from Durst. You Bring Out the Worst in Me finds him shifting between gentle crooning and primal rage at the drop of a hat, like a regular Corey Taylor. Barnacle has him singing in more of a hard rock style and sounding like yet another different person in the process. And closing track Goodbye is perhaps the closest Limp Bizkit have ever come to pop and the closest Durst has ever come to showing pop sensibilities. It just barely sounds like it could have been recorded by the same band. And then there's the band's cover of Don't Change by NXS, which seems intended to evoke their Behind Blue Eyes cover from 2003's Results May Vary. Durst's vocals on the track are highly reminiscent of its predecessor, but unlike Behind Blue Eyes, which essentially copied the classic Who song note for note minus the loud part for some reason, Don't Change undergoes a pretty radical transformation in the hands of Limp Bizkit. While the NXS original was poignant yet energetic, the cover turns it into a full-on ballad, and Durst actually does right by the late Michael Hutchins with a sincere and soulful performance. I never thought I'd be saying this sentence in 2021, or any year for that matter, but Fred Durst totally nailed that NXS song. So as you might be imagining, the new Biscuit album is pretty scattershot, and while not all of it works, the album's breezy nature makes it easier to stick with during its missteps. Its 32-minute length makes it by far the shortest Biscuit album to date, and all 12 of its tracks are quick on their own, with none of them lasting much longer than 3 minutes, and most of them being closer to 2. In a strictly technical sense, the longest track on the album is Snacky Poo at over four minutes, but the actual song ends after about two and a half, and the remainder of the track is a phone interview with Limp Bizkit guitarist Wes Borland, which is amusing in that Borland's interviewer is exponentially more talkative than he is. Overall, Still Sucks is a good Limp Bizkit album, perhaps even the best one yet, but it's still very unapologetically a Limp Bizkit album. So if you've always hated these guys, this album isn't going to make you come around. However, if you've ever had a soft spot for the Bizkit at any point in your life, then there's at least some enjoyment to be gleaned from their latest. Alright, next I'm going to play that Cypress Hill-esque track I mentioned earlier. Turn it up, bitch. Enjoy! Got the SB12 element 
the Don Julio. Open up the studio, take a microphone and put your ass on blast. I'm full of cash, I'll be the first and last. King of new metal from the trash. Hell yeah. Everybody needs some more cold. Oh, stop, bang your head, ish. So turn it up, yeah. Everybody needs some more cold. Oh, stop, bang your head, ish. So turn it up, yeah. Turn it up. Everybody needs some more cold. Oh, stop, bang your head, ish. So turn it up, yeah. Come on. Everybody needs some more cold. Oh, stop, bang your head, ish. So turn it up, yeah.
This portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events and its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com.
ja sam Dino iz Bosne, ponosne, a vi slušate KBG iz Ula Montana. Aj uzdravlje.
That was Turbo Negro with Huff the World, off their 2003 album, Scandinavian Leather. On this episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, we mourn the loss of former Turbo Negro frontman Hank Von Hell, who passed away on November 19th at age 49. No cause of death has been made public yet, but his manager suggested in an interview that his body finally gave out after a lifetime of drug abuse. Indeed, Von Hell struggled on and off with heroin addiction throughout his music career, at one point forcing Turbo Negro into hiatus for a few years so he could go to rehab. He managed to attain sobriety over a decade ago, but he must have either fallen back off the wagon during quarantine or had just done so much heroin by 2010 that he'd already dug his own grave. Of course, we have almost nothing to go on at this point, other than a cryptic comment made in a Norwegian language interview, so let's not dwell too much on his cause of death and instead focus on celebrating the life he led. Hank von Hell was born Hans Erik Dyvik Husby of Norway in 1972, and he became the third frontman for Turbo Negro in 1993. Von Hell was one of four different people to lend their voice to Turbo Negro over the years, but he was undisputably the most iconic and longest-serving of the bunch. He served as Turbo Negro's vocalist for 16 years, departing the band in 2009. He recorded on six of their ten albums to date, including everything from 1994's Never Is Forever through 2007's Retox, and presided over the band's most successful period in between. Following his time in Turbo Negro, Von Hell fronted the short-lived supergroup Dr. Midnight and the Mercy Cult, who released one album in 2011 and disbanded later that year. After that, Von Hell shied away from rock music for several years while becoming increasingly preoccupied with family life, eventually re-emerging in 2018 with his debut solo album, Egomania. He followed it up with a second solo album titled Dead in 2020, and that ended up being the final studio recording he'd release in his lifetime. Meanwhile, his former band Turbo Negro continued on after his departure with new frontman Tony Sylvester, a.k.a. Duke of Nothing, but their activity became much more sporadic in the post-Von Hell years. To date, they've only released two albums with their current singer, the most recent of which came out in early 2018. The band actually shared a heartfelt tribute to Hank Von Hell on their Facebook page the day he died, which includes the following excerpt. As a charismatic frontman who equally channeled humor and vulnerability, Hans Eric was crucial for the band's appeal. He was a warm and big-hearted human, a spiritually and intellectually seeking person who loved having a conversation with anyone. We are proud of what we created together as rock brothers in Turbo Negro. The music, the characters, our whole universe. Anyway, before Turbo Negro, I played Damn That River by Allison Chains off their 1992 album Dirt. Here by Pavement off their 1992 album Slanted and Enchanted. Catholic Schoolgirls Rule by the Red Hot Chili Peppers off their 1985 album Freaky Styly. Hickory Dichotomy by Stone Temple Pilots off their 2010 self-titled. You're So Physical by Nine Inch Nails off the 1992 EP Broken. And My Fingers by Brad off their 1993 album, Shame. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen spirit. All right, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Exodus album, Persona Non Grata. 
Exodus have existed as a band for more than 40 years now, and if anything, their music has only become heavier with time. Tom Hunting's drumming has gotten faster, Gary Holt's riffs have gotten more furious, and Steve Zetro Souza's vocals have gotten more guttural to the point of borderline death metal. It's almost as if the band members are reacting defiantly and violently to their mortality and advancing age. At any rate, this gradual uptick in the band's aggression notably spiked with 2004's Tempo of the Dam, their first album in over a decade following a series of breakups and reunions, and even if Exodus have already attained peak heaviness in their career, they certainly haven't begun to let up yet, as evidenced by their newest release, 2021's Persona Non Grata. This album may not be the band's heaviest to date, after all that is a rather high bar to clear, but make no mistake, it is absolutely relentless and bone-crushingly brutal, especially coming from a bunch of near 60-year-olds. The album's sonic onslaught kicks off with the opening notes of its very first track, and it remains almost entirely unbroken for the duration of its hour-long runtime. Alas, as is the case with many a thrash album, the band's efforts are somewhat undermined by the album format. The songs on Persona Non Grata all function perfectly well as standalones, completely isolated from the context of the album, but when you listen to all of them back-to-back over a 60-minute span, it really drives home how similar they sound to one another, and their quality is thusly diluted. Sure, there are a couple of tracks, like Prescribing Horror and The Years of Death and Dying, that slow down the tempo a bit, but not by enough to offer much of a reprieve. If you listen to the album cover to cover, you'll likely enjoy yourself, bang your head a whole bunch, and work up a sweat, but you'd be hard-pressed to recall any particularly memorable songs. There's really only one track I found to be immune to this phenomenon, and that would be the album's longest track at roughly 8 minutes, Lunatic Liar Lord, which manages to come off as the crowning achievement of Persona Non Grata, even immediately following the 9 tracks and 40 plus minutes of album ahead of it. It probably helps that the song is preceded by the minute-long instrumental interlude, Cosa del Pantano, which serves as the only proper break from Persona Non Grata's unrelenting sound barrage. This interlude sounds pretty cool, by the way, and really reminds me of the intro to Good Day to Die off of the 1992 Exodus album Force of Habit. However, even after Lunatic Liar Lord gets into full swing, it still sounds like a breath of fresh air compared to the rest of the album. It's got the best riff, the best guitar solo, and arguably the best vocal performance from Steve Souza, making it pretty much universally the album's best song. Other highlights for me include Slipping Into Madness, closing track Antiseed, and lead single The Beatings Will Continue Until Morale Improves, but none of them really hold a candle to the lunatic liar lord. Ultimately, Persona Non Grata is better viewed as a collection of 12 new Exodus tracks than as a single cohesive album. Taken individually, the songs here are all solid thrashers that showcase Exodus at their most vital, but when experienced together in rapid succession, the weaknesses in the material become apparent. Nonetheless, there are just enough standout moments amid those 60 minutes and 18 seconds of album to make it all worthwhile. Alright, the next song I'm going to play is technically two tracks, and if you were paying any attention to the words that just came out of my mouth, you can probably guess which two they are. First, I'm going to play the minute-long interlude Cosa del Pantano, because, as I said before, it sounds cool, and it leads right into the second track I'm going to play, the aforementioned Lunatic Liar Lord. So you're about to listen to a whopping nine minutes of Exodus, but again, it's the best nine minutes the new album has to offer. Be forewarned, though, if you're not a metalhead, these next nine minutes are going to be a real endurance test for you. As for everyone else... 
Get ready to crank up that volume dial. Okay, let's do this. Check for the dispatch! 
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
This is Sarah Sandoval on behalf of Nkusum Language School. You're listening to 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
Jake the Snake Robertson gives a damn about those call letters. KBGA, KGBA, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know where the music's at, don't you? Stupid.
with Only One off their 1995 album, A Boy Named Goo. Missoula County's widely celebrated new concert venue, the Kettlehouse Amphitheater near Bonner, has already begun announcing shows for its 2022 season. Starting a little over a week ago, the venue's parent company, Logjam Presents, has been unveiling shows left and right, including Dispatch and OAR, Revolution, and Little Feet. However, the biggest one thus far was undoubtedly the first one they announced. 90s alt-rock hitmakers the Goo Goo Dolls will be headlining the Kettle House on July 18, 2022, with Blue October serving as their opener. The Goo Goo Dolls are best known for the chart-dominating singles Name, Slide, and Iris, and they've released 13 studio albums since their 1986 inception. Their most recent album was a Christmas album in 2020, and before that was Miracle Pill in 2019. The band have been consistently issuing new albums every three years since 2010, and assuming they don't count the Christmas album as one of their regular releases, that means the next one's due out in 2022. Indeed, frontman John Resnick suggested back in June that a new Goo Goo Dolls album will come out next year, so expect that to most likely arrive ahead of the band's summer tour. Tickets for the show at Kettlehouse Amphitheater went on sale Friday, December 3rd, and can be purchased at the Top Hat box office or online through eTix. Anyway, before the Goo Goo Dolls, I played Me, Myself, and My Microphone by Living Color and Run DMC off the soundtrack to the 1993 film Judgment Night, 
Trip Along by Tripping Daisy off their 1995 album I Am an Elastic Firecracker, Coming Clean by Green Day off their 1994 album Dookie, So Damn Cool by Ugly Kid Joe off their 1992 album America's Least Wanted, and Off the Wagon by L7 off their 1997 album The Beauty Process, Triple Platinum. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like the show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slts2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kvga.org slash teen-spirit. All right, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Tom Morello albums, The Atlas Underground Fire and The Atlas Underground Flood. Back during those halcyon pre-COVID days of 2018, Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave guitarist Tom Morello unleashed his landmark solo album, The Atlas Underground. Sure, he had solo albums before, but those ones were issued under the alias The Night Watchman and were acoustic-based, while this one was released under his own name and generally utilized his signature electro-metal guitar style. Much like the self-titled solo debut of another iconic 90s guitarist, Slash, the Atlas Underground demonstrated Morell's versatility with an eclectic mix of songs, each one incorporating a unique roster of guest artists. He decided to follow up the endeavor in 2021 by quite literally doubling down, releasing the Atlas Underground Fire on October 15th, followed by the Atlas Underground Flood on December 3rd, each one boasting its own configuration of new songs and collaborators. Now folks, I know I typically possess an almost superhuman knowledge and awareness of new albums from 90s artists, but to be honest, the initial release of the Atlas Underground Fire completely eluded me. I didn't find out about that album until I saw Morello's surprise announcement of the Atlas Underground Flood about a month later. I think that was ultimately a blessing in disguise, though, because I likely would have already reviewed Fire by that point, and this way I can now cover both Fire and Flood in one fell review. Yes, I actually just said that. So, the thing that struck me the most after listening to Tom Morello's new albums is that he seems to be committing more to a specific direction with his solo career. 2018's The Atlas Underground was stylistically all over the map, doling out rock, pop, rap, EDM, and none of the above in pretty much equal measure. It was an impossible album to classify in any way other than the broadest of terms. In contrast, the Atlas Underground's Fire and Flood lean more heavily on the electronic side of Morello's guitar playing, and for the most part can be classified as EDM albums. As a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave, I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, it's an inventive repurposing of Morello's one-of-a-kind guitar style, but on the other, Morello's presence is diminished even further on these two albums. On a lot of these songs, he seems to be taking a backseat to the guest artist or artists in question, and if not for, say, a brief guitar solo near the end, it's really easy to forget that these are supposed to be Tom Morello songs. He's probably on the albums a lot more than he appears to be, but generally speaking, when Morello's guitar work is set to pre-programmed electronic beats, as opposed to Brad Wilk's drumming, it sounds almost completely indistinguishable from generic modern-day EDM. Nonetheless, some of his EDM songs are surprisingly satisfying, and both albums still feature enough dabbling in other genres to appease the EDM-averse listeners. For instance, The Atlas Underground Fire has The War Inside featuring Chris Stapleton, which sounds very much like a country song thanks entirely to Stapleton's vocal stylings. 
Highway to Hell, featuring Bruce Springsteen and Eddie Vedder, a respectful cover of the ACDC classic that comes across as a jovial reunion of old friends, and Let's Get the Party Started, featuring Bring Me the Horizon, which is a hard rock song in the vein of Audio Slave, though Ollie Sykes is certainly a downgrade from the late Chris Cornell. On the Atlas Underground Flood, there's the spacey mid-tempo rocker Parallels featuring Jim James of My Morning Jacket fame, Hard Times featuring Nathaniel Rateliff, Jim Jones, and Chipotle Joe, a driving political rap rock joint that should hold a lot of appeal for Rage fans, and closing track Warrior Spirit featuring the iconic flamenco duo Rodrigo y Gabriela, which actually sounds more like a Rodrigo y Gabriela song featuring Tom Morello. As for the differences between Fire and Flood, well, that's a bit difficult to pinpoint. Ultimately, I would say that Fire gravitates more towards fiery, club-ready EDM, while Flood is more, uh, flowy, generally favoring more of an electronica style. However, each album possesses enough outliers, not to mention songs that would have sounded more appropriate on the other album, to suggest that my assessment might be way off base. In all likelihood, Morello just recorded all of it together as a double album, arbitrarily divided the songs between the two discs, and released them a month and a half apart, just because. Overall, there's plenty to enjoy amid Tom Morello's two new solo albums, just so long as you're partial towards electronic music and are able to leave all preconceived notions of Morello gleaned from Rage and Audio Slave at the door. Otherwise, you'll most likely come away disappointed, or worse, disillusioned. Alright, next I'm going to play a song from the Atlas Underground Fire, and I'll follow it up with a song from Flood on my 2021 Album of the Year show in a couple weeks. This next track is one of my favorites from Fire. This one is Hold the Line, featuring up-and-coming artist Grandson. It is not a Toto cover. Well, enjoy! Nobody said it would be easy Nobody said that it would all be fine But to get where we're going
This is James Pants from the Stone's Throw label in the forests of Spokane. You are listening to KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. All right now, boys and girls, we've got another story for you now. We want to introduce to you another friend of the Bible. Hell yeah! If I don't believe in myself, would that? 
I would do if I were God.
Cycles getting smaller all the time 
listen, we don't need any fancy super duper promo. We don't need any of that. See here with KVGA, we're just a student run college radio station and we play music. It's pretty simple. That's it. self-titled debut. Korn recently announced a title and release date for their upcoming 14th studio album. The album will be titled Requiem, and it's scheduled for release on February 4th, 2022. The band also issued the album's lead single, Start the Healing, and it's almost a complete 180 in tone from the last Korn album, 2019's The Nothing. That album was written and recorded rapidly following the 2018 death of frontman Jonathan Davis's estranged wife, Devin, of an overdose at age 39. Davis channeled his grief into a concept album about the grieving process, resulting in some of Korn's harshest and bleakest material to date. In contrast, Start the Healing is a surprisingly uplifting song that suggests Davis has finally turned a corner in his lifelong struggles with various demons. 
While that song title likely would have been sardonic on a previous Korn album, in this instance, Davis sounds like he's singing sincerely from a legitimately better place in his life. He's not exactly displaying Mark Mothersbaugh or Chris Ballou levels of exuberance, but he nonetheless seems unusually happy on this track. There's an unmistakable serenity in the way he sings the verses, and although he still does plenty of his trademark screaming on the song, this time it comes off more cathartic than anguished. It's certainly a different look for Korn, and although this first single is pretty decent, it remains to be seen if they'll be able to make it work for an entire album. I'll be sure to let you know how Requiem turns out, and play whichever song from the album I end up liking the most, on Sounds Like Teen Spirit early next year. Anyway, before Korn, I played Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey by Soundgarden off their 2014 compilation, Echo of Miles, Scattered Tracks Across the Path. The Line by Fish off their 2014 album Fuego. One Said to the Other by The Living End off their 2003 album Modern Artillery. Psychobilly Freakout by the Reverend Horton Heat off his 1990 album Smoke Miff You Got Em. Hell Yeah by the Bloodhound Gang off their 1999 album Hooray for Boobies, and Holier Than Thou by Metallica off their 1991 self-titled, aka the Black Album. And that about wraps up a holly jolly episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I've been your host, Ian. At this point in 2021, there's not much left for me to do but revisit all the new albums I've reviewed over the course of this rapidly winding down year. And with that, I cordially invite you all to join me for my 2021 Album of the Year show later this month. I've still got my work cut out for me, but as of now, the episode is on track to premiere on the last Sunday in December, which would be the 26th, exactly two weeks from today. In the meantime, I'm closing out this episode with one of the new songs off the deluxe Radiohead reissue, Kid Amnesia. As any diehard Radiohead fan could tell you, the band's turn-of-the-century albums Kid A and Amnesiac were recorded during the same sessions and were originally intended to be released together as a double album. Ultimately, though, the band members decided the material was too dense for that treatment and issued them as separate albums instead, with Kid A arriving in October 2000 and Amnesiac following less than eight months later at the end of May 2001. However, considering the two albums were written together and adhere to the same basic musical style, and that it's actually not unusual for double albums to be released as separate discs months apart from each other, like the two Tom Morello albums I just reviewed, they were at least a double album in spirit. When you also factor in that they would share the same bonus material, it makes total sense for Radiohead to combine their respective 20th anniversary reissues into one set. The new Radiohead collection Kid A Amnesia basically gives Kid A and Amnesiac the same deluxe treatment given to OK Computer in 2017 with the OK Not OK 20th Anniversary Edition. That reissue presented us with a newly remastered version of the 1997 classic, plus a second disc of bonus material curated by the band, which was comprised of three previously unreleased tracks and essentially all the B-sides from the OK Computer singles. In the same vein, Kid Amnesia is a three-disc set totaling over two hours in length, with the first disc being a Kid A remaster, the second disc being an Amnesiac remaster, and the third holding all the bonus material. I'm not going to sit here and review a pair of 20-year-old albums for you, but I'll say that they are still every bit the defiantly uncommercial masterpieces you fell in love with two decades ago, and that these ones in particular benefit greatly from a remaster. Mostly, I just want to talk about the third disc. 
First things first, I really like how the whole thing pretty much flows together as one, not unlike the two albums its material was culled from. Given the patchwork nature suggested by the disc's track list, with its seemingly haphazard assortment of new songs, alternate takes, and odd instrumentals, I never would have expected it all to function as a single, cohesive work of art, but evidently Radiohead have labored hard in post-production to pull that feat off. Unless, of course, they planned it this way while recording it all those years ago, which is a possibility that can't be ignored coming from them. The bonus disc feels like an album in and of itself, and along with the remasters of Kid A and Amnesiac, the whole collection is basically a triple album. Alas, the third disc is by far the weakest of the three, and it definitely feels slight when compared to the bonus disc from OK Not OK. There are ultimately only two new songs on that third disc, If You Say the Word and Follow Me Around, and both were released as singles ahead of the collection. If You Say the Word is a warm, somewhat loungy Radiohead song that would have sounded right at home on Amnesiac, while Follow Me Around, in stark contrast, sounds more like the band's early to mid-90s output and is probably the single most accessible song on the entire collection. Other than those two tracks, there really isn't much on the third disc to write home about. There are alternate versions of the songs Morning Bell, Like Spinning Plates, Polk Pull Revolving Doors, and Fog from the Knives Out B-side, plus orchestral string arrangements of the songs How to Disappear Completely and Pyramid Song, the latter only covering about a quarter of the track, as well as a series of ambient, minute-long instrumentals that don't amount to much and could have easily just been tacked onto the beginning or end of neighboring tracks. Admittedly, I think I prefer the alternate version of Like Spinning Plates to the original, but aside from that and the aforementioned new songs, the third disc feels inessential and insubstantial, especially compared to what the previous Radiohead reissue was packing. It definitely seems like an Emperor Has No Clothes scenario to me. Ultimately, Kid A and Amnesiac are still good albums that sound better than ever now, but they are let down by an underwhelming bonus disc, and listening to Kid A Amnesia cover to cover may prove too demanding for all but the biggest Radiohead heads, suggesting the band was right on the money with their instinct to release the two albums separately. Alright, I'm closing out this episode with my favorite of the two new songs, Follow Me Around. It's basically just five minutes of Tom York singing over a relatively clean-sounding acoustic riff with no other instruments backing him, and it's still one of the most fully realized tracks on the bonus disc. Well, happy holidays! Follow me around 
Cease to exist. I cease to.